We have climbed, you all, the Sermon on the Mount, you know, metaphorically. We've stood on the peak, haven't we? Two weeks ago, we stood on the peak, literally at chapter 7, verse 12. In that one verse, the, we know it is a golden rule. Um, so whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them. You all, the, well, there's the whole Bible there's the law and prophets summarized in that statement. So we've stood on the peak and we're now metaphorically descending the Sermon on the Mount. And remember I said to you that uh, most people lose their lives descending the mountain, not climbing it. And if I can refer to the Sermon on the Mount as a mountain, most people tumble fatally coming off the mountain as Jesus gives these these four warning passages. It is sobering. Um, the first warning passage we covered two weeks ago, I talked about two paths. Remember that? There's, well, there's two gates and there's two paths. Um, one wide and easy, it's leading to destruction. Uh, one narrow and hard, it's leading to life. And then last week, Rob unpacked the second warning, false prophets, you remember that? He reminded us in a day when truth is hard to come by, uh, y'all, we need to be vigilant in, in what we see and read and what we put in our minds. I've been challenged like crazy, by the way, by his question to us last week when he said, what kind of fruit is being produced in my life by the media I consume? That is a worthwhile question to ponder. Uh, there are wolves in sheep's clothing and uh, you need to beware the voices you are listening to. This morning, y'all, we're coming to the third warning. Okay, you know, there's four. We're coming to the third warning and uh, it is, I, I think without a doubt, it's the most draconian, if, you know, the, the, the harshest warning of the four. And, and it makes me want to remind you of something else Rob said. And I keep saying Rob because Rob's a phenomenal teacher and, and we want you to keep connecting these messages because that's how we teach through the Bible. The, the messages connect, they don't stand, stand alone. And, uh, but, but I have to say this, and Rob said something last week. He said, Jesus warns because he, do you remember the word? He warns because he loves. We need to hear that. Um, it's like a parent warning a child, right? You, you warn your child. It's not because you're wanting to make their life miserable. It's not because you're wanting to keep something good from them. You know, it's, it's because you love them. And, the, and, and if the danger's super great, what's your warning like? Super strong, right? See what I'm saying? And I'm saying this because what Jesus is going to say to us is gonna scare most of us to death, and it should, because if it does, it will lead some of us to life. Well, I know we've just been standing for a while, but I'm gonna ask you to stand one more time. And uh, we don't do it every week, but you know, at times we will stand and I want us to stand for the reading of this word. This is God's uh, text for us today. You're gonna read it out loud with me. I'm gonna lead it, but... Let's read it together, beginning in Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is the living word of God for us today. Amen, you can be seated. R.C. Sproul said of this text, quote, I consider these to be the most terrifying words that ever came from the mouth of Jesus, end quote. New Testament scholar Daniel Aiken echoes Sproul's sentiment. He says, these are some of the most terrifying verses in all the Bible, end quote. Here's why. Here's what, just, here's what Jesus is saying. Some of us think we are on the narrow path to life. But the truth is we're on the wide path to destruction. Some who profess Christ and do amazing spiritual work are far, far, far from God. That's scary, isn't it? To think you're one thing, but to, to find you're not. Can I tell you what's terrifying? Those who think they're on the narrow path, those who think they are speaking for God, doing amazing works for God, will find out that they were in fact on the wide and easy path at the end when it's too late. How, how about that for terrifying? That you find out when it's too late that you've been wrong all along. Just to be as clear and concrete as Jesus is in this passage, not everyone who says they are a Christian is a Christian. Not everyone who considers fellowship their home church is a Christian. Not everyone who thinks they're in the kingdom is in fact in the kingdom. It doesn't matter if you're serving or leading or preaching. There, you know, think about a church our size, you know, above, you know, 2,500, 3,000 people, both congregations there. Can I say this in the, to those of us in the room and those of, those of us online? Everyone who's watching me right now, okay? Our church is not 100% Christian. There's no way. There's just no way. You may be an attender. You may be a guest. You may go, I'm a Christian. I'm at church every week. There's no way that everyone who comes to fellowship is in the kingdom. If there's the possibility that I think I'm in, but I'm not. How can I know, <laughs> right? Like, how can I know before it's too late? And according to Jesus, it will be too late, not for a few, what? It'll be too late for many, for most. Well, our text is gonna answer the question this morning. We've got three verses. It, it makes a very simple outline 
uh, for you. I've got on the screen there. Uh, we got three verses. There's verse 21. I'm gonna call this an orthodox profession. There's verse 22. I'm gonna call this an impressive resume. And then there's verse 23, which is a devastating declaration. Now with that, let's jump into our text. Look at verse 21 with me. Um, Jesus begins, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Uh, this phrase, Lord, Lord, um, we have every reason to believe contextually, uh, grammatically, the words themselves, that those who are saying this are not making an empty profession. You know, Lord, that word can be used of like gentleman or sir, but, but in this context, they, they are making an orthodox profession of Jesus. Lord, you are God, you are deity. Lord, Lord, you think about that when that's used in the Bible, the double names doesn't happen often. It's, it's, a, it's, it's there to say this is, this is uh, passionate, this is sincere, this is devoted, Lord, Lord. And so what we can say of this profession is that it is orthodox. Y'all, orthodox means it's true, it's right. And it is sincere, they mean it. And it will not get some into heaven. I want you to note the contrast. I'll just note this here in the text itself. The, the contrast in this verse is the says and the does. You see that? When you're reading your Bible, you're going, what are the contrast words? What are the repeated words? We'll get to that in a moment. But speaking of a contrast word, but. But in contrast, the one who does. So there's, there's, there's the bigger contrast, the, the sayer and the doer. And this is critical. The doing, the doing that gets one into the kingdom is doing the will of my Father. So we're gonna, we're gonna get to that in, in, in a few moments. How can one know? How can you know that you're on the narrow path to life? How can you really know? Well, it's gonna have to do with how you would answer this question. Does my life express the will of my Father in heaven? Which raises another question, perhaps. It does for me. So what? is the will of the Father. What, 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 so what is he talking about here, the will of the Father? Well, uh, we'll answer it, but Jesus doesn't answer it right away. Instead, what he tells us is that those who make the proclamation come to him, and I think even anticipating this and say, well, look, let, let us show you our resume. Let, let us show you how we do the will of the Father. And that's where we pick up an impressive resume. I'm calling it in verse 22. Look again in your Bibles. Verse 22, it says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? It's like, it's like Jesus knew you know, what, when he said, You're, you know, many of you aren't in, they went, whoa, 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 whoa. Let us tell you everything we've done, <laughs> by the way. 
in your name. The verse begins, first of all, though, with a timestamp. And this is, this is important. Uh, it's on that day. So, so we got to mark that. Okay, on that day. It, it's, it's not like all other days. Um, if you're familiar with your Bible, when that, just that phrase, that day, that's really significant. And, and what it is, is it's on the day of judgment on the day when Christ will judge the world. So, so in the, just in that first little phrase, we're suddenly transported from, so to speak, the now to this future day. It's out there, you all, when Jesus will come back and Jesus will judge us. Now, in the Old Testament, I just want you to see this, Isaiah 2.11 speaks of that day. And so that when you're reading your Bible, when you see this, you know, ooh, that's, that's the day. It says, the haughty looks of man shall be brought low and the lofty pride of men shall be humbled and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. This is the same day Jesus is talking about. Let's go to the New Testament, Matthew 24, 36. It says, but concern, Jesus is speaking, but concerning that day, <laughs> are you with me? It's a day. That day, an hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father only. So we're at that future time, that day. So on that, on that day, something's gonna happen. I wanna, I, wanna, I wanna get the image of that day in your mind. I'll let Jesus do that. Listen and look at Matthew 25, 31 to 32. He's speaking of that day. When the son of man comes in his glory, whoo, it's that day. And all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Many familiar with that, that, that day. And, and on that day, he, he will say, you know, the, the sheep to my right, the goats to my left. And he'll say to the sheep, come on in. And he will say to the goats, depart. It's the same phrase that we're using in, in, in our text. Here's what I find fascinating. And you got to read Matthew 25. Maybe you can read it later this week or something. But here's what I find fascinating. Both sheep, both the sheep and the goats will be shocked at his words. Both. It's not just like one of one, the, the one's going to go. What do you What do you mean? No, both. Those who are welcomed into the kingdom, you place your faith in Christ. You'll be awed. You'll be like, oh, not not that you don't believe it, but you know what I mean. It'll be incredulous that you're welcomed in to the kingdom. And, and then those who are goats will be shocked too, and will protest that. Wait a minute. How, how, why am I not in the kingdom? Now, now, when we go back to our text, isn't that what we see? Jesus says, you're not in the kingdom and they, there's a protest. Wait, wait a minute. Have you seen my resume as a Christian? We look for repetition as well when we're studying our Bible. And in this one, we note um, Back on, uh, no, here we go. Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? And did we not do many mighty works in your name? This is so orthodox, this is so right, you know, it's so, it's like good. 
to, to, to do this in Jesus's name. It means this, we, we did this um, by your authority. Uh, by your, it was out of your character we did this. We did this in your name. We, we prophesied, we cast out demons, we did mighty works. By the way, and that the mighty works is miracles. We did miracles in your name. Prophesying could be foretelling the future, but it can also be speaking direct revelation of God. We, we did these things in your name. Cast out demons in your name. There's nothing in the text, there's nothing in this text that would indicate Jesus looked at them and said, in any way denied that what they said was true. In fact, everything tells us that when they protest and they say, this is what we did in your name, Jesus said, yeah, 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 you did. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a caution to us, I think. Um, there are those today, today, there's always have been and there always will be who can gather thousands of people and say they speak for God, uh, exercise demons, can do real miracles and none of it even, not even a cent of it, quite frankly, is of the Holy Spirit. It's true. It happens. Here's what's even terrifying is, is God allows that. There are people who do that and will do that and they'll do it their whole life. Like it's not, it's not like God says, stop that, you know. I'm not gonna let you, do, no, they do it their whole, they do it their whole life. But they will not do it forever. <laughs> See, that there, there's an end. And you all, when that end comes, it's too late. Which takes us to this last verse, take this one apart. Verse 23, this devastating declaration. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. C.H. Spurgeon says of these four words, he says, there is more thunder in those four words than you ever heard in the most terrible storm that has rolled over your heads. There is no stamp of the foot or fiery glance to accompany them. They are spoken calmly and deliberately, yet they are terrible and overwhelming. I never knew you. And may I say, uh, they are final. If you want to know what the destruction is, right? If you choose the wide and easy path and it leads to destruction. If you wanna know what that destruction is, this is what it is. It is for Jesus to say on that day, I never knew you. You can be a Bible teacher, a pastor. You can lead a fellowship group. <laughs> you can volunteer in the learning center. You can be a seminary professor. You can attend church regularly. You can tithe. You can give sacrificial. You can pray fast and heal people. You can cast out demons and you can, you can and will, according to Jesus, there will be many whom Jesus says of those who did all those things on the last day, on that day, he will say, I never knew you.
What does he mean by I never knew you? This word knew or know, is, it's gnosko in the Greek. We've talked about it a lot because it's so important. Uh, the most important characteristic of gnosko, of, of knowing biblically, is that it's experiential. It's not knowing a fact. It's not cerebral alone. It is an experience of your whole, can I say this? We say this a lot here, of the whole heart, thoughts, emotions, desires, and choices, the wholeness of your being. It's an experiential knowing. Uh, you know, so much so that, you know, in the, in the Bible, the, the, you, they'll use, you know, the Bible writers will use this word of sexual intercourse. Adam knew Eve. She conceived and bore a son. Don't, don't be embarrassed by that. That's, that's, in a sense, the level of knowing, you see, that Jesus is talking about here. It is, it is an experiential, relational, intimate, mutual knowing that he's describing, not just, I know your name, you know, or I know of you. We note as well that he uses this word depart. We, know, we saw that in the, you know, the judgment passages. When Adam and Eve rejected God in the garden, they had to what? Depart the garden. Uh, when the nation of Israel was in the land and they rejected God, they had to depart the land. For anyone who is not known by Jesus on that day, they will depart God's presence forever. And I read this, y'all, and I, I have a genuine tension because when I read it, it, it seems like that these are professing and practicing Jesus followers, does it not? There's like, there's, there's faith and there's works, which we know biblical faith will always have the two. And so you go, oh my gosh, I mean, this is, what else could they do? Well, it's not biblical faith. And I'm gonna say this, according to Jesus, it's not my judgment, but his. So it takes us, I think, back to that statement in verse 21. I think this is where the key resides because there he says, the only people who get into heaven would be the one who does the will of the Father. So we've got to camp here for a moment. So what is, okay, what do you mean does the will of the Father? Uh, number one, does, present tense, it means because you won't do the will of the Father perfectly. There's only one who has, we'll get to that. But when it means does the will of the Father, it means that it's only the person whose life is characterized by, again, not perfection, but is characterized by the doing of the will of the Father. Well, Okay, what's the will of the Father? Let's start with the immediate context. We're in the Sermon on the Mount. We would expect to find the will of the Father in this text, wouldn't we? And I would suggest this. What's well, the whole sermon? Let me get more specific. I would suggest it's chapter five, verse 20. For, for, for that really was the bookends, you remember, on the body of the sermon. Chapter five, verse 20 says this. You wanna know what the will of the Father is? It's this. He says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Do you see that? So, so we know this. So, 
So to get into heaven, you have to be doing the will of the Father. No one gets into heaven unless they have a righteousness that's greater than the Pharisees. See how these are, these are connecting. So the will of the Father is that, is that you and I would possess a righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. And in that day, the scribes and Pharisees were the high watermark. I mean, these were the sharpest, most religious, righteous people. They said the right things, they did the right things. And Jesus comes along and says, they're, that's, they're out. You're gonna have to have a righteousness that exceeds that. Now, Rob brought it last week and I'll bring it back again because I think the picture of this as we've tried to encourage us to see it it's to understand it's like an iceberg, okay? It's like, it is like an iceberg. The righteousness, if I can describe it this way, the righteousness of the religious leaders was all external righteousness. But, but the iceberg is all that that's under the waterline in the same way that we can have an outward righteousness, but what God's concerned about is what? The heart, thoughts, emotions, desires, sources, the essence of who you are, you know, not just your behavior, but the heart. Now what's, okay, so the religious leaders, they got this ice, they got the righteousness up here, but there's something going on under the waterline. I'm just gonna let Jesus describe to us what's under the waterline of the scribes and Pharisees. You don't turn there. I'm just gonna read this and you'll catch these words. In, in Matthew 23, Jesus says this, "'Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, "'for you clean the outside,' right? So we know this, you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but the inside, they are full of greed, and self-indulgence. Wait, everything looks so good. Oh my gosh, if you could see what, you know what's in their heart? Greed and self-indulgence. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear. How about this? Do you know what they looked like? Jesus says they looked beautiful but within are full of dead men's bones. Y'all, we, we look at that and go, okay, dead men's bones. That's so gross. And in that context would just be like, we can't even con conceive of that. Full of dead men's bones. And just to make sure we get it, all uncleanness. That's what's in their heart. So you also outwardly, how about this, appear, he uses this word, y'all. Well, you appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Gross. And such are you and such am I, this is us apart from Jesus. The will of the Father is a wholehearted righteousness. That's the only righteousness that will get you into heaven, I'm telling you. 
You, you won't get there with the tip of your iceberg looking shiny and clean. You won't. How does one, you know, if this is the heart, this is what we described, how does one get a righteous heart? John 6, 40, John writes this, speaking of the will of the Father, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should, he, should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. There's in the kingdom. The will of the Father is that all who look upon Jesus believe in him. John's gonna conclude his own gospel, by the way, with his purpose statement for the whole book in John 20, 30 and 31. He says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not even written in the book. But these are written, why? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Y'all, not everyone who says, I know Jesus is in the kingdom. Not everyone who says, I mean, I've known God my whole life. I grew up, my, my dad was a pastor. I mean, I've just known God my whole life. You're not in, that doesn't mean you're in the kingdom. Not everyone who says Jesus is my Lord is in the kingdom. Not everyone who does significant spiritual work is in the kingdom. The only person in the kingdom is the one who believes, who puts their trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, who says to Jesus, Jesus, what you did, you did for me. That's it. Now I'm gonna invite the worship team back out because we've got to get to our question we always ask in the Sermon on the Mount, and that is, Jesus, what does it mean to follow you? And our, our application is... They're all significant. This, this really matters, you all. There, there's some decisions to be made. There's a decision to be made. As they're coming out, let me, let me remind us as we move into that. When the Bible speaks of belief and trust, in the same way that gnosko, knowing, is an intimate, relational, experiential knowing, when the Bible speaks of believe or trust in Jesus, y'all, that's experiential it's not simply a thought. It's not simply a, a, an affirmation, it's true. It is a placing of your trust in that truth. Okay, Lord, what do you mean by that? Okay, okay let's say you're flying to Phoenix, you go to the airport and you trust that the, that plane will take you to Phoenix, but you don't have biblical faith or trust until you get on the plane. You could stand in the airport all day and proclaim, oh no, that'll fly me to Phoenix. It'll fly me to Phoenix. It'll fly me to Phoenix. A week later, it'll fly me to Phoenix. You've not expressed biblical trust until you get on the plane in the same way in Christ. It is, it is, a, it is a belief of putting your weight in Jesus, which means when you put your weight in Jesus, you're saying there's no other way to go to heaven but Jesus, there's nothing else I'm trusting but the finished work of Christ upon you, Jesus. I am, I, I'm relying, I'm, I'm, I'm confident that what you did on the cross, you did for me. I believe. And you make that commitment of faith and trust. And in that moment, here's what happens. 
you get a new heart. See, you can't, no one can manufacture a righteous heart. It's unmakeable, unearnable. It's received. For there's but one who was righteous and that's Jesus. And so you see, again, you're just putting yourself on Jesus going, I, I can't do enough right and avoid enough wrong. Jesus, I need your righteousness. And that's what happens when you believe the gospel. Your sins are forgiven. You are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And, and, and you know, and I know the, 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 the resistance is always, I know, but, but, but there's no but, you know, it's, that's the truth. That's the gospel. That's the, that's the gospel Paul proclaimed and the apostles preached and Jesus gave us. The only righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees is Jesus's righteousness. Not yours, not mine. Jesus's. If I could summarize what I think Jesus is telling us in this passage, and this is the, this is the terrifying part of it. And, and when I say this, don't quote me out of context. So don't take this, what I'm gonna say and go, I can't believe he said that. Well, I'm saying it out of this context, okay? It doesn't matter if if I say, I know Jesus, what ultimately matters is if on that day, Jesus says to me, I know you. Oh, I know you. That's what matters most. Amen. The name Jesus literally means God saves. God saves. That statement should stop us in our tracks in absolute awe. That the God, the holy God who created the galaxies has throughout the course of human history been nothing but faithful and forgiving, patient and pursuing that in love he gave his perfect son sent as a sacrifice to redeem and to call sinners, idolaters, or rebellious people. How often do we lose our wonder at that? I know I do for sure, far too often. America has lost its wonder at the good news of the saving grace of Jesus. So many take Jesus's beautiful name in vain. So many use his name, like Lloyd said, for status or celebrity or selfish gain. So many spit in the face of a loving God by cursing and slandering and rejecting the very name that offers to save them. So we wanted to read a few verses over us this morning to bring us back to the reverence and the awe and the wonder of what God tells us we have in the name of Jesus. Acts 10, 43 says, all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. 
Acts 2.38 says, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.11 says, But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. In John 14, Jesus tells us we can pray boldly in His name. He said, And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. In Luke 10, 17, we see that we have authority in Jesus' name. It said the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Philippians 2 says, for this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God sets two options before us, only two. (laughs) We can choose to bow our hearts today to Jesus as Lord and Savior and be known by Him, loved by Him. Or we can be among those who choose to be those who He never knew who will still also bow in eternal regret on the day of Jesus' return. In Mark 8, Jesus asks Peter the most important question in the entire Bible and the most important question of our entire lives. Jesus asks Peter, he says, who do you say that I am? And Jesus is asking each one of us right now, who do you say that Jesus is? He is either who he says he is, or he is a crazy liar. There is no in between, that's it. And we know what God says. We know who he says he is. God says in Acts 4, 12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The gospel is inclusive. It's for everyone, anyone who can come. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved, but it's also exclusive. And that there is only one way to God the Father, and that is through faith in His perfect Son, Jesus Christ. All we have to do is call on the name of Jesus. Today is the day of salvation. Call on the name of Jesus in repentance and humility and accept His invitation to be known by Him and belong to Him. Come to Jesus. Find in Him forgiveness and freedom and wholeness of heart. If you have never called on the name of Jesus, I'm gonna pray a prayer right now. And you can do that. You can respond to His invitation and come. He is waiting with open arms. Come to Jesus. Let's bow our hearts and bow our eyes. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner. I have ignored you, rejected you, rebelled against you, and lived my life for myself. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I believe that you are the Son of God, 
I believe that you lived a perfect life and that you died on the cross in my place, taking the punishment I deserved to save me. I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth that you rose from the dead on the third day to overcome sin and death forever. You did what I could not do for myself. I ask you now to come be Lord of my life. Please by your Holy Spirit, strengthen and enable me to live every day in a way that honors you. I love you, Jesus. Thank you that because of your unfailing love and mercy and forgiveness and the gift of salvation, I will now spend eternity in your kingdom with you. In Jesus' name, I pray and trust and hope and believe. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. If you prayed that prayer with me, if you called on the name of Jesus for the first time or for the whatever time today, we want to come around you and support you and love on you and connect with you in any way that you need us to connect with you. So we're putting an email address up on the screen. So email, please email us so that we can answer any questions or just be there for you however we can. We're gonna use this last song as a prayer. So lift your voices as a prayer and let's bow our hearts, the name, the beautiful and wonderful and powerful name of our Savior, Jesus. Let's sing together.